When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Yes, indeed. Hello, everyone. I'm John Lund alongside Al Renato, a.k.a. the Great Al from White Plains. And this is New Report, Old Report here on Monday, August 27th from 8 to 9 Eastern Time, live on Sports Radio America. If you do miss the live show, you can catch the replay or find the show as bonus content under the Bridge Sports Podcast, both on Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts or at LondonBridge.com. This week, Urban Meyer and his suspension at Ohio State, some way too early discussion on the college football playoff, rookie quarterbacks in the NFL, and a quick look at the wild card races in Major League Baseball. Check your sources. We're off. Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. Well, Al, the big story in the news, at least earlier in the week, is a story we actually touched on on this show a couple weeks ago and previewed that it would indeed be something that carried over into the major news leading into college football season and to the start of the season and into it. And Urban Meyer proved that that will be the case with what happened at Ohio State and their decision to suspend him for the first three games of the season. He released a statement that he read out loud and then addressed the press about it. The president of the school, the athletic director, all had commentary about it. More information came out after said press conferences, which made a lot of eyes raise because none of that information was available for the press conferences that I'm sure would be discussed. To make a long story short, Urban Meyer will not be with the Buckeyes for the first three games of the season. He will then come back. We will then see what the rest of the season will look like for the Buckeyes. But based on everything that we know and some of the different rulings that have been handed down, what were some of your thoughts on what's been the Urban Meyer in Ohio State decisions and rulings over the past week or so? Well, first of all, you were the soothsayer in in your youthful wisdom, saying that this story would play. Uh, and it has continued to play, and it will continue to play. Um, it, it pretty much has panned out the way I thought it would. Uh, I believe we had a long discussion, which I told you, uh, yes, these guys are CEOs, uh, but I also don't believe that they should be put in the role of playing their brother's keeper, that you are responsible basically for everything that goes on with respect to every coach and every player uh, within your program 24 um, seven. And I thought that if urban Meyer did what he was supposed to do in terms of reporting this up the chain in terms of protocol and what his duties and requirements under his job required him to do in terms of his performance, that he would survive. Um, I still can't tell if he did exactly what he was supposed to do in terms of protocol. But he did survive, despite the fact, and this is the part that really peeves me. I told you I've never been an Urban Meyer fan. Uh, I think he's basically, you know, the three faces of Eve. I think he's as phony as the day is long. I try when I listen to him to think that he's a good man 
and has good values. But, you know, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. And you've seen it now. We've had what happened in Florida, which was a train wreck in terms of the, the players who got trouble down there. The list is endless. Uh, obviously, you know, led by Aaron Hernandez in terms of the trouble he got in before, during, and after. And a long litany uh, of dirty laundry down there, which required him to resign because he was physically and emotionally not equipped any longer to handle the job. Uh, whether or not that was the truth versus, you know, one step ahead of the law, who knows? Well, he but said he also is, wanted to spend more time with his family during that yeah. time. And then before you know it, was traveling around yeah. with ESPN every Saturday doing analysis and for then, them. And then so then take that away. Right. So, uh, again, the, the phony comes through. But here's the problem I have with Urban Meyer. I thought he would keep his job. And I don't have a huge problem with him keeping his job if he did what he was supposed to do with this domestic violence. The problem I have with Urban Meyer is this. He is not a rookie. He has not been around for five years or 10. This is a guy who has had a plethora of jobs. This is a coach who is at the top of the heap. He's one of the best in college football. He's one of the best in his profession. He's been through this before. He could not have handled this worse. Right? Whether he lied or misspoke, and how he would have how he would have misspoke at the Big Ten media day is beyond me. He got that wrong. Right? Ohio State gets behind him and said, "Well, he he misspoke. Basically, he lied. He lied. He lied on media day. He lied to Ohio State, but Ohio State said even though he didn't tell the truth, he didn't lie. Well, if you didn't tell the truth, then what'd you do?" You know, you Roger Clemens, you misremembered. I mean, come on, this is not a case of first impression. You've been around the block, you're Urban Meyer, and you still can't get it right. And then on top of everything else, when he gets a three-game suspension, he has the unmitigated goals. Of, oh, well, you know, it's a tough penalty. I'm paraphrasing, but I'll do it. How about going up there without a, a speech that's been totally written down for you, and then you sit there and you have your nose and eyes glued to it like you've never even read it before, and you read it like you're trying to translate Arabic, all right? How about going through it a few times? How about being a little contrite? How about telling people, you want to know what? I messed up. I, I misspoke on media day. I screwed up royally. I let everybody, enough with the Buckeye Nation ball. All right, Buck. I don't give a rat's ass about Buckeye Nation. How about collegiate athletics? How about America? How about everybody and anybody who follows college sports, people who realize right from wrong and knowing that I screwed up. I let everybody down who looks up to me, from my family to my friends to my players to my fellow coaches, to those across America who look to me to set an example of a leader of a major college football program and molding young men and how they should conduct themselves. I messed up royally. I'm taking my three games. I deserve every game. And then Ted insults injury. When asked about, asked about Gordon Smith, his response, well, I'm sorry, we're here. And then he has to make up something okay, later on and release a couple of paragraphs on Twitter. You had all this time to get it right. You've been through it a gazillion times. You've been through this crap based on what happened to you in Florida. All right? And this is what you come up with? Jim Fossil lost his job because his players sold their memorabilia for freaking tattoos. You messed this thing up and you got three games. 
How about you? I, 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 sh- I should be grateful and run like a thief in the night that I got my job. All right. Show me a little something for once, because now you know this is not a young guy. This is not a guy who hasn't dodged this bullet before. This is a guy who's got experience up the wazoo and he can't figure out what it takes to be contrite and show a little bit of understanding all right, for the way you should carry yourself and a little bit of knowledge. Because instead of just going up there and reading verbatim from something that your eyes are glued to, how about showing your face, make some eye contact with the people you're talking to and speak from the heart, not from the paper. You would think you could do better at this stage of your career. I was incredible. So I tried to give him every benefit of the doubt. But the bottom line is if it walks like a phony and it talks like a phony, it's a phony. And he's as big a phony as we've got going right now. And that's the biggest problem I had with it as well, because in that monologue that you just had and the great points that you just were able to say, you had a better apology off the cuff in 30 seconds than Urban Meyer did in two weeks with all the help in the world to write whatever that apology was from the higher-ups, from the PR folks at Ohio State, from anyone that could get their hands on something to prepare that statement. And like you said, it just came off as phony. To not be able to look around the room and just apologize and, hey, even if you don't even mean the apology, just to come out and say, I'm sorry and sound sincere, America's going to accept that. Sports fans are going to accept that. College football is going to accept that. Well, at least he apologized and we could sort of move on from this and it won't be as difficult now. Because he wasn't able to do that and, as you mentioned, spent most of the time glued to the paper he was reading the apology from and then when asked questions about it, didn't even have decent enough responses to those questions that you had to know were coming. Like, what would you say to this woman if you could address her today? I wish we weren't here. Well, (laughs) no kidding. You wish you weren't here because you wish you didn't get caught. You're not sorry about it. You wish you didn't get caught. That's what got me about all this. And then afterward for Ohio state to release their findings for us to find out that they knew more things than we did previously and then to rationalize some of the things they knew like oh in 2015 he was taking some medication that made him forgetful and that's the reason why he wasn't sure meds always rear their ugly head don't they when in doubt blame it on the meds blame it on the meds to just be so shady with it all is, is what really got me the three games i was okay with Three games, four games, six games, the whole season, whatever they could come up with, and if they had valid reason for doing so, fine. Three games with validity, three games with Urban Meyer actually apologizing and sounding sincere and truly being sorry for this, perfect. To come out and maybe even say, I'm not going to get paid for those three games, but the money I would have made, I'm going to donate to a domestic abuse charity. Do something that would at least a, draw the attention away from you. Be a human. Exactly. Be, be a, a person. Man. Be a man for Christ's sakes. You know, you talk about how your job is to lead these young men, teach them how to be a man. Be a man. Practice what you preach. You were up there like a sniveling fool, like a complete buffoon, a complete buffoon. 
is what he came off as. Total and complete ass is the way he handled it. And I just could not have been more disappointed. I literally gave him the benefit of the doubt because of this notion of, you know, your brother's keeper and you, you got to watch out for the guy and protect everybody. And you, know, you got to be judge. You got to be jury. You got to be prosecutor. You got to be investigator. You got to be protector. A lot to put on a coach. But then you go up and handle it like a total and complete ass. I'm sorry. The benefit of the doubt is just gone. And as we mentioned the first time we discussed this a couple weeks back, for a wide receivers coach, Al, this isn't his assistant coach, his second in command, his 30-year longtime friend who used to be a head coach. For the wide receivers coach, you're going to take the fall and have something like this really over your head for the rest of your career. Now, some people have said this is going to affect his legacy and impact it for the rest of his days. I have a hard time believing that just because I think we've now developed in sports very poor long-term memories, and after a while, this will probably be swept under the rug, or at least they'll try to do so. But in general, for the situation, if you look at this on paper, and we went through all of this because he was trying to protect his wide receivers coach, I find that hard to believe, that that the fall would be this hard, the cover-up would be the reason for the fall. Is it really all worth it for the wide receivers coach? Well, you know, we, we've heard and read the stories, and you know, he, he mentioned it as well. You know, supposedly the closeness is because this is Earl Bruce's grandson and Earl Bruce was his mentor. So, I mean, that is, is, is the most logical explanation because, you know, wide receivers, coaches are expendable. They may be important, but they're not crucial to the success of this or any other program. You know, it's not like this guy is in huge demand at universities at the top of the uh, NCAA football chart throughout America. But this is Earl Bruce's grandson. Earl Bruce was his mentor, uh, former Ohio State coach, very respected, very well respected throughout his career. And all we can surmise from what we've heard and read is that he had loyalty to him because of that. And that loyalty, um, I, 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 can only assume, which is silly to do so, but I have no other logical explanation for him bending over backwards to protect this coach, considering his place in the program, other than the loyalty he felt towards him because of his relationship with Earl Bruce. Earl Bruce. And that's, all, I'm not going to say all well and good, and I'm not even going to say it's understandable, but it's, to me, something at least that bears fruit more than, you know, this guy's such a great coach. We, we've got to protect him, et cetera, et cetera. But that's basically, you know, what he went down for. He went down for an assistant coach uh, who he was loyal to because of the relationship with his grandfather and then just could not have handled the fallout from it, in my mind any worse than he possibly did. I'll say this, too, to put a bow on it. The sports media came after Urban once we found out these decisions, as they should have, or as it should have. 
and very strongly worded diatribes were said from a lot of college football media and sports media in general, which was nice to see, especially from some folks that could have ties to Urban Meyer or have covered him for many of the years that he's been a coach either at Florida or Ohio State in the limelight. Perfectly fine. It'll be interesting to see, however, if that changes come late November if Ohio State is playing for the college football championship. Because and, 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 and also, what's the long term? And when I say long term, I don't even mean five years from now in this legacy scenario. I mean just next year. How much does this weigh on Urban Meyer? Right. Is it going to be a repeat of what we saw you know, uh, in Gainesville? Is Urban Meyer going to be worn out from all of this where he will have to step down for, quote unquote, health and family reasons again uh, because it, it, I, I think it has worn on him already. I think it will wear on him when he's not coaching. And then it remains to be seen how much of the regular season will continue to have as the focus of the media, not the games, not the team and how they're playing, but the three games that he missed and what precipitated the three games that he missed. And we won't know that until we get further along. But as I, I said in our last program, uh, I think you could coach Ohio State through the first three games, but, uh, but we'll see what happens with the beginning of their schedule. Right. I mean, the hardest of the three is the last one against TCU, but it's not the TCU team that you might remember from filling out like college bowl games a couple years ago and the team that could score 60 points. And he'll be back with the game already under his belt when the Buckeyes have to go to Penn State in week five. It will be interesting, though, if things shake out that way. I mean, this is a team that I believe is fifth in the preseason AP top 25 poll. So it's not like, yeah, it's not like they're. Big question is a quarterback. They're not coming in battled and bruised. Like you mentioned, quarterback is the big thing. And if they can find that and, and make a run come late November, I'd be hard pressed not to hear from those same media members that were ripping him the other day that. He's come through so much, and he deserves all this. And can you believe oh, no, I, how I, far I he's come? I don't want to hear that for a second. It'll come. I don't want to hear that from anybody for one second. Because to me, that's the biggest, the biggest story of this to me is how poorly Urban Meyer has handled all of this because of the fact that he is experienced because of the fact he's been through something like this before, because he has created higher expectations in terms of the way he talks about his job as not just a football coach, but the molder and leader of these young men to help set the table for the rest of their lives both on and off the football field and their futures. And what an utter and complete disappointment he's been in the way he's handled this. It could not have been dealt with more unprofessionally uh, by him than I could possibly imagine. And, And just in terms of his overall demeanor, both what he said and how he said it. Sometimes it's one or the other. Here it was 
both. It was just a complete and total train wreck from the time he opened his mouth to the time he finished tweeting. You can't go on national television last week and rip apart what has happened, and it should be ripped apart, and then be okay celebrating him or smiling while interviewing him toward the end of the season if the Buckeyes are making a run at the college football playoff. It can't happen, and it will, and that's unfortunate. That's how sports is, how quick we are to forget once the winning comes, and that's definitely the main reason that we're even having this discussion of it only being three games is that facing facts, his record at Ohio State can speak for itself in a meeting like that where you just look at what he's able to do with that program you're more apt to let things slide a little bit. And, and that's unfortunately what we saw. And some of the comments that were made on it are, are still unbelievable. But here we are. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato. And this is the new report, old report. College football did kick off on Saturday, but you wouldn't usually know that unless you were maybe throwing a couple shekels down on it on those first games. But the real week zero, yeah, week zero, week zero, week zero. The real season, I guess you would say, is coming up and kicking off this coming week. I'm interested to look a little ahead with you. What's interesting with college football is this first week it could make or break seasons for teams. And that's what's always exciting about it is there is a chance that this one loss that you might get in week one can ruin a season in a sense, or at least show you that maybe this isn't the year for the national championship. Now, we have seen that not matter at all. Ohio State does come to mind, losing to Virginia Tech in week one that one year and still making it. So it's not always the end-all, be-all, but it doesn't help your case going forward if you were to lose the first game of the season. Looking at the top four teams that we see now as the preseason top four, Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, and a surprise in a sense in Wisconsin, I'm guessing to you Wisconsin is the team out of that four that is least likely to make it into the college football playoff of them? Well, and and I say that not because it's out of disrespect for Wisconsin. It's the Big Ten is murderous. Right. I mean, you know, Ohio State is going to be terrific. Penn State is going to be terrific. Wisconsin is, is going to be terrific. You always have to deal with Michigan. Michigan State is going to be very, very good, uh, right in the mix with uh, really the, the, the other three teams. I love the Michigan State quarterback. Uh, I, I saw him last year in the second half of the season. I thought he was terrific. Loved the way he handles himself. Saw him throw the ball in awful weather take Michigan State up and down the field. I think Michigan State could go out there uh, on any Saturday in the Big Ten and beat any one of uh, of the Big Three. So, I mean, Wisconsin has got an incredibly difficult road to hoe because the Big Ten is, in my mind, at the top, um, far and away. And I mean far and away, the best conference in America this year. I have to be a little biased for this season now that I work on a channel dedicated to the ACC. My tunnel vision is now on one conference instead of on maybe one well, specific everybody, team. Well, everybody, everybody, and anybody and everybody has, has you know, Clemson going back. Everybody you listen to has got the Clemson front four in the NFL. 
The Clemson defense is going to be world beaters. Um, they'll score enough. Uh, they're going to be the class of the conference. Uh, this is Willie Taggart's first year at Florida State. Uh, they've got a quarterback, not controversy, but quarterback battle, you know, between the two guys, you know, one from two years ago, who was the prize returning sophomore and who went down in the first game last year against Alabama and his replacement who had a hell of a year for, I believe a true freshman. I think he's, I think he's a true sophomore. Correct me if I could be wrong on that, but correct me if I'm wrong. So they've got a, you know, a quarterback battle, which is, I mean, they got, they got two driven quarterbacks, but you know, Willie Taggart's his first year on the job. Uh, you know, who do we really see in the ACC? Uh, with Florida state, not where we're used to them seeing them competing with Clemson. Yeah. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. With Clemson? It's either Florida state or that we can think that can challenge Clemson, you know, in, in any way, shape or form for the ACC title to keep them out of the ACC championship game. Uh, you know, look, if, if Clemson wins the ACC title and with one loss, they're they're going back to the Final Four. You, you're going to get in with one loss if you if one loss, you know, in total. If you win your your uh, your championship game, you're going to do it. If you're any one of those conferences, it's as simple as that. Speaking of younger players, we have several rookie quarterbacks in the National Football League that have what a nice segue. What a nice segue by the young man. I'll tell the paycheck for this week, probably 10 more bucks for that segue. I, I was going to say, you deserve a raise. <laughs> a lot of names getting thrown around in the preseason by these rookie quarterbacks that got drafted incredibly high, as are the trends in both of those cases. Baker Mayfield is under the spotlight, not only with a team that could improve its record by just winning one game and affording Cleveland bars Bud Light out of these locked-up coolers, which is a fun little giveaway that they have going on. First win, they unlock all these big vending machines. Free beer to the patrons of these Cleveland bars, so hopefully that happens earlier than later for them. He's also in the spotlight on Hard Knocks. I don't know if you watch that, but I do, and Hard Knocks makes you fall in love with whatever team they happen to be covering for that season. We fell into that trap last year with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, thought Jameis Winston was going to lead that team to the Super Bowl. Well, things happen, and that's the feeling you get with the Cleveland Browns. They're not going to lose any game if you watch Hard Knocks, and it's just the greatness of HBO and the different things they're able to highlight that lead us to believe that. But he is under a microscope. Whether or not he'll be the starting quarterback is up to be seen. Hugh Jackson says, no, it's going to be Tarod, as he wants to be now known, instead of Tyrod, the formerly known, Taylor. I don't Tyrod's, think... what you have, Tyrod's what you have on your car. Right. That's a good point. I, just had to replace, I had to replace one a couple of weeks ago. Interesting that he waited until now to let everyone know that we were saying his name wrong all this time. But I guess once it starts, especially at a young age, you just kind of go, well, it's too much pressure to have to tell people and it's too much of a hassle for people that are have the name like jeff and they spell it g-e-o-f-f and somebody calls them geoff sometimes G-off. you just let them go whatever the fame geoff the fame geoff petri <laughs> that's right the nba when i was a kid uh played at princeton uh all-time and tre- tremendous nba player rookie of the year and uh 
when I first saw the spelling of his name, I as a kid, you know, I, I thought his name was Geoff. Yeah, well, <laughs> there, then there's that. there's Siobhan, which can be spelled S I O B H A N. I graduated with a girl named Siobhan, and when when substitute teachers would come and do our class roster, Siobhan would more often than not be said, and that's just how it is. And and now in today's day and age, you look at some of the names that are being thrown around in in the millennial and younger generation. God bless them for the spellings. But anyway, we digress. For backup quarterbacks, starting quarterbacks of the rookie quarterbacks, early on it's looking like Sam Darnold is the front runner to potentially win the starting quarterback position well, with the New York let's, Jets. Let's do this. Let's do this real quick, and then we'll go to Sam. I'm just going to ask you yes or no, all right? Week one. Is Josh Allen the starter in Buffalo? Uh, see, that's a tough one because of the offensive line injury I believe they just had today. If they don't have a good line, I don't think you could start him with that. I'll say no, just to be safe. Will Baker Mayfield be the starting quarterback in Cleveland? No. Will Josh Rosen be the starting quarterback in Arizona? No. Easy one. Will young Mr. Jackson be the starting quarterback in Baltimore? I don't think so. We know he won't be. And lastly, and most importantly, will Sam, I am, Darno, be the starting quarterback for the J-E-T-S Jets, Jets, Jets? I'm going to say no as well, because I think they're going to be too afraid to pull that trigger week one. I don't think Todd Bowles will have enough, I don't know what the word would be, gumption or risk-taking ability. I don't think he's going to do it week one. I think everyone and their brother will want it. I don't think he's going to do it week one, and he'll have a reasoning for it. It'll be, we don't want to throw him to the wolves, et cetera, et cetera, whatever it'll be. I don't think he's going to do it. And here is what I'm going to say. Barring any major changes in the final week of preseason, injuries, guys falling on their faces, all right? Uh, I think Josh Allen will start in Buffalo. I think the aforementioned Tarod Taylor uh, will start in Cleveland. Uh, I think the former Heisman Trophy winner and off-injured Sudden Sam, uh, who who gets hurt getting out of bed, will be the starting quarterback in Arizona. Uh, obviously, Joe Flacco will be the starter in Baltimore. And I disagree with you. I think uh, he will have no choice by the way he's played, both uh, on the field and the way he carries himself. And you can't really be forced by the fans and the media to make a decision. But I do think that Todd Bowles and the coaching staff will understand what they've got and what's expected. And they've made a lot of changes. They've got uh, a pretty good defense. They are in a division that except for the Patriots, you can win a lot of games in. Uh, I, I think 
they are going to make the decision. Their best chance to win is with uh, their hot shot, first round lottery pick that uh, is the guy that everybody has been waiting for. Uh, I'm not going to say to be the next Broadway Joe because there's only one Broadway Joe. Um, but it's been a long, long, long time since the Jets have had a quarterback who is a game changer, a quarterback who can take center stage in New York City, uh, even though they play in New Jersey, of course, and be the focal point of the entire football team. As good as Ken O'Brien was at times, he was never that. Uh, Richard Todd was very good at times, but clearly was never that. Um, And, I mean, Sean Pennington was a nice player, but clearly was never that. Um, So this is the guy. This was the best quarterback coming out of this draft, in my mind. I love Baker Mayfield. Um, I love his swagger. I love his moxie. Um, but in terms of the tools, for me, this was the best quarterback available in the draft. And the Jets got him. And they are now really in a terrific position because they've got a seasoned veteran quarterback who they could well give the nod to. Uh, they've got a relatively seasoned young veteran coming back from injury who's a nice quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, who everybody says they're going to trade, and they probably will, barring injuries to anybody on their team. Uh, and will probably bring, I would think, at least a third-round pick. Uh, but I think they're going to go, uh, I, I think they're going to go with the hot shot. I think they're going to go uh, with the new kid in town, and I think it's a decision that uh, is going to be easily made. And it's going to be uh, very interesting to see how it pans out early. Uh, because, you know, that always puts the pressure uh, to perform and win, not just to perform well, but you know, the Jets are looking to win. The Jets aren't looking to go 5-11 and 11 or 4-12 and 12 and have him play well. The Jets are looking, should be looking to have a winning season because this is a division with a mediocre Miami team, a mediocre Miami uh, Buffalo team, and a Patriot team that has taken a step, at least in my mind, backwards. So there's no reason they can't go out and compete and win games against everyone in their division, including the Patriots, if they get excellent quarterback play. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. If I had to guess for the Jets, I would think they'll move Teddy Bridgewater before the season starts. And they're probably waiting, maybe thinking there might be an unfortunate couple-week injury with a quarterback. Maybe they're thinking a team sees what they have in quarterback and they'd rather see something else. I don't know why you would carry those three quarterbacks on your team if you're only going to play or be in favor of one. I think going on the road in week one at Detroit, Josh McCown starts the game. It doesn't go great. 
I wouldn't be surprised if they pull him and put in Sam Darnold. But I think the reasoning will be, well, we didn't want to throw him into a road game in his first game. They're then home against the Dolphins the following week. Might be a good time to try it out if week one doesn't go well, because then in week three, you've got the showdown, the Cleveland Browns. Might be a good (laughs) shot for him to make his name in the week three game against the Hard Knocks beloved Cleveland Browns. Not an untenable theory, but the other aspect of it is if they go on the road and win in Detroit, then obviously you're with McCown at the helm. Right. And obviously you're not, you're not going to see Darno starting game two. You know, if he doesn't start game one, you're not going to see him starting uh, until uh, McCown really struggles and, or they're losing games and you don't want to get out of the box losing games. You know, every game, as you know, as well as anybody is incredibly important in the NFL with only 16 of them. So I really think it comes down to forget about who he is, forget about where he is in terms of the time frame. I really think it, and I know this sounds so cliche-ish, but I, I really do believe it will come down to a complete and total decision of who do they believe gives them the best chance to win a week one on the road to Detroit. And I think that decision is going to be Sam Darnold. To me, I agree in Buffalo. What have you got to lose? Put Josh Allen in. Same thing in Arizona. You're going to ride one of the – should be a, a hero in some people's minds, Sam Bradford, for how much money that man has made in his professional NFL career. Over $122 million. He Amazing. should be idolized by anyone coming up I through these ranks. Good dude. Cool dude. Yeah, I give him credit because he, he he keeps coming back. He won't quit. He's tough as nails in terms of the fact that he's got he's incredibly resilient, but he's also on the one hand, from that aspect, the other aspect, he's incredibly brittle. Yeah. Um, because you know, you look at his numbers, his numbers are when he plays, he does he his numbers are off the charts. Tremendous completion percentage. Uh, wins a lot of games. He just can't stay on. I mean, last year, week one, great performance. Looked like this is finally going to be it. Terrific team. Next thing you know, Sam's not playing in week two. We only played the entire first game. Didn't get hurt in the game. Somehow, some way, we find out he got hurt. I still don't know how he got hurt. You know, how he hurt that knee. Whether it was in the game, whether it was in practice. But the point is, you know, we didn't see Sam pretty much the rest of the year. Same thing for the Ravens. If things aren't going well halfway through the season, if the Steelers are running away with the division, which they could, what do you got to lose? See what well, you got. Yeah, that's going to be that's going to be way down the road, right? I, I think, think they're, they're the farthest that. down, and I think Cleveland is is a second behind, which I think is unfortunate. I mean, as a Broncos fan, we'll we'll put it this way. Had John Elway traded for Baker Mayfield, I wouldn't have hated it. I, I'm going to love Bradley Chubb, and I think it makes their defense even better than it was, obviously. There's something about Baker Mayfield. There's something about these quarterbacks, to me, that you see more of during college football season and that you can also see win games. Like, I love Deshaun Watson just from seeing what he's able to do in the game's highest stage, in the biggest game of the season – that's that's sometimes for me what can make or break a quarterback discussion when it's that guy against somebody from Wyoming area Avenue University 
that you don't know but you can see the stats of. When you see some of these guys grind out and win important football games, to me, it, it puts them a, a step ahead of the other guys and the other competitions. I'm seeing a lot of Baker Mayfield and Hard Knocks, so it might be an early bias because of that. Yeah, but I wouldn't I, hate. I would I say hate... Hard Knocks. I would say Hard Knocks has a huge impact on uh, your overview of life in general. Could be. That could be. You might be right about that. All I'm saying is I wouldn't mind seeing him out there and having a chance to lead a football team and see what happens. That's all I'm saying. The problem is he's got a quarterback that led his team to the playoffs, even though his team was like, yeah, we're going to sit you because we just don't know. We're going to put this guy in that's going to throw five interceptions. But, yeah, you're still going to lead us to the playoffs. We just don't really like you too much. We're going to get rid of you. Still don't understand that decision by Buffalo. Tyrod Taylor, Tarod Taylor, whatever he's going to go by, I think he'll do okay. And and that's unfortunate for Baker in that it might be harder to win that job out of the the five that we've mentioned so far. Yeah, I, I would have loved to have seen him somewhere else. I, I agree. I, I would have loved to have seen him in Denver. I mean, I like it with Cleveland if he was the only one there. Like, if they had backup quarterback, backup quarterback, and in a sense, all right, he could he could start tomorrow because we don't have that, like, franchise name, that big-name guy, that playoff quarterback. Like, if it was Nick Foles and Josh McCown and Baker Mayfield. All right, see what you got. But I think he's in a tough position with that. Even though I'd like to see, I'd like to see Baker Mayfield on a good team that needs a quarterback. Right now, you could argue that could be somebody like Jacksonville, if you don't think Bortles uh, and what you saw last year in the postseason is real. I don't know yet. Uh, I've not been a Bortles fan, but I have to give him credit. I thought he played incredibly well. And look, I mean, okay, bad last drive happens. Bad last drive. Team didn't have the faith in him to throw the ball down the field. That means he's not good enough. Well, I, I, you know, I don't know. He played really well in the postseason last year. You know, he literally ripped the Steelers to shreds. All right, and he had them in a position to beat the Patriots. Then when? All right, I'm not blaming that game on Blake Bortles. Maybe, maybe I can blame it on the fact that the coaches have to have confidence in him. But he did enough in the postseason last year for me to give him the benefit of the doubt. But that's the kind of team that I, I would have loved to have seen Baker Mayfield go to. A team that's already good, that's got a, a, a missing link in terms of both the, the caliber of the player and the caliber of the personality. Because that's also what I think Baker Mayfield brings to the table. Not just the player, but the leadership skill slash swagger on the field that is incredibly fun to watch. And if he had a defense like Denver's to lean up against, to throw an interception and not feel like the game was over. I thought Denver was the, per- was the perfect fit. That's where I was hoping he would go. Um, but the opportunity did not arise. Um, you know, for obviously you know, Denver to get that player because I thought he would be a perfect fit there. And I, I, the way things were going, you know, as we wound down with the draft, I actually thought there was going to be an opportunity for one of these quarterbacks to fall to Denver. And actually it was, but they passed on Josh Rosen, um, which 
I understand the scenario uh, with putting Chubb on the other side and just rain, wreaking havoc and the reign of terror that he and Von Miller uh, have the potential of, you know, literally putting upon offensive lines and quarterbacks uh, throughout the AFC. But I also thought Josh Rosen would have been a good fit there too. The defense will be fun to watch. The two unfortunate things for offense is that in the early going and at practice, the Broncos media is very excited just because Case Keenan wasn't throwing an interception, say, every other pass. That's when well, look, you know it's an, improve- it's, it's an improvement. It's an improvement, but it's still it's not something to get excited over. And when you're it's booing your number one draft pick from just a couple years ago when he enters a game in Paxton Lynch, it's not what you want to see either. So, and look, I, I don't know away. enough about the X's and O's, but it looks like he can't play. Looks like it. That's a looks shame. Like he can't I, I think they got to cut the cord on him, which is it's it's too bad. But looks like he simply can't play couple minutes to quickly get into some baseball and I have to probably start and say your optimism for the Cardinals I'm guessing has changed a little bit since we last spoke Cardinals baseball the firing of Mike Matheny etc wild card baby well the Cardinals did all the things um pretty much that I hoped they would do but did not think they would do the defense has improved dramatically the young guys are playing with their pants on fire The young starters have been terrific. The bullpen revamped has been unbelievable. And you've got a manager who knows all these players because he had them in AAA. They love playing for him. He is a much better, and and look, he's, he's also hot. Players can get hot. Managers can get hot. He's really only had one decision go bad on him, and that was the obvious decision he made last night bringing it to Dakota Hudson. Um, And he's made some decisions that, you know, kind of, were questionable and they've all worked. So you could be hot as a manager. You know, you're too young to remember when Joe Morgan uh, came on to manage the Red Sox. And I believe they started 14 and L and uh, Joe Morgan basically managed the game by the seat of his pants. Mike Schild is very popular with the players, um, both the young guys and the veterans. And it has all turned around a complete 180 in every aspect of this team offensively, defensively, starting pitching, and the bullpen. As a result, they go from nowhere land to right now atop the NL wildcard heap. However, as you know, this is a wildcard group that, unlike the American League, changes daily because you have four teams within a couple games. Right. Well, the American League is trying to make itself interesting, too, and that Oakland is close to as many games back from the Yankees or the Yankees are back from the Red Sox. I'll put the kiss of death on the Yankees and assume that they beat the Orioles while we're recording this. So they would be six games back of the Boston Red Sox at this moment. Not not awful. Not great, but not the worst thing in the world. I'm still frightened for the wild card. The A's in Seattle, as you know in baseball – Somebody gets hot at the right time, that could completely change things. But what is giving me a little bit of optimism still, and and, and it's hard, too, as a Yankees fan to just think, well, let's just get everybody right for that one game wild card. 
We'll get everybody going to play in that one game that's going to decide our season in game 163. Unfortunately, leading into that game, you're going to play the Boston Red Sox no matter what. So it's either going to go real bad or real good or not matter at all. Regardless, well, look who's on know. their disabled list still. Their three leading home run hitters and one of the best closers in baseball are not on the team. And there are seven, seven out of their last ten, I believe. Not bad to see. Still a lot well, of things can happen. If, if, as long as you bad. play the Orioles, for sure. That's right. <laughs> if only we could continue doing that. I think um, we've got the know, White the Sox and the Tigers coming not, up. Not just when, when is Judge going to come back, but how effective is he going to be when he comes back? Um, you know, when they said three weeks, I knew that was a crock. You know, I saw, I, and I there was saw no reason for it. Hit. Why? You know, I was like, that's six weeks minimum. And I think that's where we are now. I think we're at about six weeks. Um, look, the Red Sox are a different team without Chris Sale. The swagger, without Chris Sale, the swagger is gone. And I have no idea how Chris Sale is going to be come the last couple weeks of the season and the postseason. Because he's been shut down right now. We've seen this happen to him every year where his second half is not nearly as effective as his first half. He came back, he threw five unbelievable innings, and they shut him down again uh, with more shoulder inflammation. So that's a scary thing for them right now. Uh, you know, They're not going to win it without Chris Sale being their number one guy. I firmly believe that. You're, you're not going to ride your, your off into the sunset in a world championship behind David Price. You're not going to do it. Uh, oh, especially no. since he still hasn't won a postseason game. It's going to be interesting. And it is still too early to get too excited about any of the storylines, but just something to bring up that we're getting there. And, and just to give you an idea about never out of it, just to, to refresh your recollection as a young man, seven years ago, at this stage of the season, literally, Seven years ago, my St. Louis Cardinals were, give or take a half a game, 11 games out of a wild card. Yeah, but that was overshadowed, right? Wasn't that the last day of the season when the AL drama happened and everybody forgot that that lead got broken, or am I getting my years messed up? But my point is, they were 11 games out. I don't know why that's not talked about more. With that little amount of time left, right. they made that, that, you know, that's when the guy won a quarter of a million bucks in Vegas. I think you put a thousand bucks in the Cardinals to make the postseason. That's right. And the odds were about 250 to one. He did the same thing for them to win the World Series. You know, we won a boat look. And yes, down the stretch, the Braves completely collapsed. Uh, and you had the American League uh, debacle uh, with what happened in Tampa that night uh, when the Yankees blew the big lead. Uh, but the point is, even. As much as we want to say, and they are in all probability, dead as a doornail, and I, I want to say the Nats are done. But, you know, my Redbirds were 11 out at this stage seven years ago, and they made the postseason. They ultimately won the world championship. So, you know, the Yankees at six out are still absolutely positively in the division hunt. No doubt about it. Uh, as Boston continues to flounder. Now, Boston does it to go play the Marlins. Uh, and the week of part of their schedule is coming up, but you still have to win those games. You have to recover from being pounded in Tampa. Uh, you don't have Chris Sale to give the ball to and say, go stop, you know, stop the slump. Okay. 
uh, go get us back on the good foot. Everybody they've thrown out there recently has gotten bombed in the last week. So somebody needs to be the slump stopper. Who's it going to be? Because the Red Sox need to get back on the good foot. Uh, because, you know, as long as you play in the East, uh, you know, other than playing Tampa, uh, you know, you got a chance to win plenty of games. You know, Toronto can lose on any given night. Uh, we know how bad the Orioles are. It's unfathomable how bad they are. It's, it's you know, uh, just a disaster of epic proportions. I'm sure Buck Showalter won't be back. Uh, so the possibility that looked virtually nil a couple of weeks ago when it was 10 games uh, is right there again for the Yankees. It, it's still, regardless of the injuries, uh, the division possibilities are still, uh, still there, and there's still plenty of time. Al, it's been a pleasure. And one thing that we don't have to worry about speculating on like we do with baseball at this moment, the next time you guys and listeners hear our voices, college football will be back. That's exciting. College football will be back. The U.S. Open will be well underway uh, with the big three having at it, uh, all healthy and ready, raring to go. Uh, So that should be terrific for the tennis fans out there. And, uh, you know, we didn't even discuss uh, Tiger's great run uh, in the PGA. Uh, but, you know, obviously that is always center stage. Um, so we'll have a lot to talk about. And as always, as usual, can't wait. We'll be back next Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at SportsRadioAmerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.